0: Hello and welcome to Ride Buddies. It's crazy to think about, but here we are already on our fifth episode. And this time we've got a couple household names in the world of long-distance cycling. World Tour Pro and Alt Cycling Hero, Lachlan Morton, and Ultra Endurance Legend, Kurt Snyder. While they've apparently been corresponding for years, this was as close to an in-real-life meeting as the two have ever had. In 2007, Kurt swapped cyclocross racing for ultra-endurance cycling and is considered to be a true veteran of the sport. He has won and or set records on the Tour Divide, the Arizona Trail 300 and 750, the Colorado Trail Race, and too many others to count. For real, it's a long list. He's also a professor with a PhD in earth science as well as a coach, but nowadays focuses on his role as co-founder of a nonprofit known as Bikepacking Routes while continuing to compete and chase the occasional FKT. Meanwhile, Lachlan, aka Lockie, has been juggling professional road racing with adventure cycling for the last four years, finding plenty of success at events like the GB Duro and the Leadville Trail 100, just to name a few. Earlier this year, he became the talk of the Tour de France when he rode every kilometer of the Tour, including distances between each stage start and finish, solo and self-supported. Just crazy, awesome, inspiring stuff. And in this episode, the two talk about falling head over heels in love with off road cycling, some of their best and worst experiences on the bike, wild sleep deprived hallucinations, and a whole lot more. So saddle up and tune in. You're in for a great ride with these two. (laughs)
1: Lachlan, it's great to finally sort of have an in person conversation with you. I feel like we've been. Messaging back and forth about various things for like three years now, probably.
2: Yeah, I think it's mainly just me asking for advice, but uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: trying to well, work out what I'm going to go do.
1: And um, I think we actually probably almost met in person. I think like ten years ago, when I remember I was living in Boulder at the time, and mm-hmm. I was still a road racer at that point, and I just moved from the Midwest. And in the Midwest, I was like you know could occasionally win a race and then i moved to boulder and suddenly racing and it's like all the pros that live there and suddenly i was like just trying to stay at like not get dropped in <laughs> the first like miles of any race but i remember hearing that you and your brother were coming over and i think you were juniors at the time still yeah and you we all went to what, what was there's that not sunshine canyon but the steep road that climbs up the other side from Boulder Canyon. Uh, yeah,
2: uh, Magnolia.
1: Yeah, some yeah. Hill, hill climb that went up that.
2: And, That's right, uh, and uh, you finished up in Eldora.
1: Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think we were both in that, and you were, like, danced off the front as I danced off the back right when it got <laughs> steep, <laughs> that was that. but <laughs>
2: yeah. I, think, I think my brother won that race. Um, really? really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, from memory, that was, like, my first ever Pro 1-2 race. Um, And I got smoked also. (laughs) Like, that was, like, that was, like, the height of, like, the boulder road scene, I think. Huh. You know, like, there was just so many good guys and, like, so much (laughs) racing going on at that point that, like, um, yeah. That was, like, also my introduction to boulder racing. And I think, like at that time I was so hungry for competition, but I just loved it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's that funny was... now, like more and more here, you just see, well, it seems like all the roads that like I started to find and like two or three years ago, it feels like I was the only one on them. It's like, now it's just full of bike riders.
1: Huh? It's mostly dirt roads and like, like the, the it's Jeep roads and things like that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Like it's, it's cool to see that like shift. Um, it's definitely like less competitive and less people out there like going for KOMs and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Which is not, I mean, there's still plenty of fast people around, but the bike scene here seems to have changed a fair bit.
1: Oh, that's, that's awesome to hear. Cause it yeah. definitely started to drag. I lived there for six years while I was in grad school and started to drag on me in the last few years I was there that just like everybody rode farther than newer, Went faster than you you know they had something that they did better than you on any particular ride and and made sure they talked about that and
2: so true it's like i can't like Flagstaff is the big climb from town here that everyone does you know like on road bikes mm-hmm. and i just can't ride that anymore like <laughs> it just like takes you back to a point in my life when like i could remember like what time i needed to be at each switch back to like be going fast and like it's mm-hmm. just too much too much attached to that like old my old self i just don't go up
1: there anymore (laughs) oh it's really interesting to hear yeah yeah Yeah. well so like i think it's so fascinating that you as a pro i mean you've been a pro roadie for a decade at this point, more or less and like i don't i've I've sort of cursorily followed pro road racing for longer than that because i started getting into the road scene at a very different level from you but like 15 years ago, probably um, yeah. in the Midwest. And it's like all these, you see all these personalities kind of come and go in the, the scene. And the only ones that have really fascinated me over the years were folks that were doing something a little different from the norm, which I'm sure you hear all the time, but like your, your curiosity for big and you know, ultras and for off-road stuff and for bike packing has just been so cool to see. And I really have a lot of admiration for folks that are, you know, this is their job, but they're willing to like try to right. find find a niche outside that to continue to really be excited about what they're doing and, and find newness. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more from from your perspective about like what what is it that's drawn you to those sorts of things? Um
2: I think like it's just kind of like for me it came out of like a I was kind of very burnt out on road racing. Um but knew like Like, when I was a kid, I was just, like, to ride my bike, right? And there was, like, some, like, point there when it became my job and, like, I was, like, a very hyper-competitive, like, you know, teenager and just kind of lost that um, love for just, like, the simple, you know, riding. Um, So, yeah, I think, like, the first, like, I did, like, a small bikepacking trip with my brother and then, like, um... Sorry, my dog's going crazy.
1: <laughs>
2: um, yeah, and then, like, I don't know. I just started, like, filling up a backpack and kind of doing, like, point-to-point rides. Um, more so out of just trying to escape, like... It was generally when I was in Europe, just trying to get out of, like, the town of Gerona, where I lived in, where, like, um, you know, pro cycling was everything. And I'd just kind of, like, find these little escapes and I got like a little trailer and started like just riding out to the mountains for a few days just more like to get away yeah Um, and then I was kind of like I I feel like this is uh, I mean it it totally like rekindled my love for the sport Um, and then that kind of like I guess started my curiosity for like just different like scenes in bike riding because there's so many of them right Mm -hmm. um and i kind of realized that i'd only discovered this like slither of it and there was so much more to see um and then i feel like once you start going uh off-road um on bikes it's pretty hard to go back on the road (laughs) um like there's just so much you know i i've always loved to like basically ride everything wherever i am um -hmm. and try and like i'm constantly trying to put together you know like my ideal loop for like everywhere i am Um,
1: yeah so like find find all the connections that you could potentially use yeah
2: totally so that like you know every now and then you can show someone this amazing loop that like you know they never knew were there um but increasingly that involves just like riding on trails and and cheap roads and more walking you know just like (laughs) um and to the point now where like i can't i mean i don't have a road bike here in the country um i don't really like i love to race on the road because it's it's intense and it's like a very different um very different thing than i normally do but like i don't really just go and ride road bikes anymore um so like yeah it was it was kind of like a gradual thing that happened and i still like i'm still a fan of road racing i love to watch it um And as I said, I love to jump in there every now and then, but all my interests have kind of like, I guess they grew from that, but they've grown away from that. Um, And like, yeah, it's just kind of, for me, like, um, I'm never like, I'm not really um, like goal driven. I'm just kind of like every day I'm trying to get out there and just like have the nicest ride I can. So I kind of wake up and work out what ride I'm going to do, what the weather is, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like what I'm feeling and then um, work out what bike I'm going to ride and then just go from there. And then that kind of just like, I think whatever I'm like into at that point draws me to different events. Um, So like, you know, sometimes that's ultra stuff. Um, Sometimes it's mountain biking. Sometimes it's road racing. It's just kind of what I'm like sort of feeling at the time. Um, And I'm kind of lucky that I kind of have a a bit of freedom to like chase certain things um, that interest me. And I just try and stay like pretty genuine to those interests, you know, Um, which keeps me like super motivated, you know, I love to get (laughs) out and like just ride because it's sort of, um, there's no one, no one making me do it, you know? So that's kind of my, a quick history of my like experience in riding and, uh, how about you you've been so you, I, di- I didn't know you raced road bikes
1: yeah so I, I mean i think like you i i grew up just riding bikes and loving bikes for the freedom that they provided to just like get out of my neighborhood and explore and i mean as a like middle i mean even before middle school i remember just like having this cool little bike and being like oh you can get like little bike bags that go on different places to carry more stuff and so i had this jerky little bike you know, in like fifth, sixth grade, set up like that, and then got a actual well no, it was in um when I was like 13, I remember being in a live public library and it was back when they have all the magazines like spread out on th- the shelves so you can see the like cover of each um magazine of the current issues. And I remember looking at the bike ones because I was just interested in bikes at the time and there's a bicycling one with all their kind of kitschy eye-catching titles. And one of them was like you too can ride a century. I was like, how do you ride a hundred years? And <laughs> like open it up and look at it, like, oh, it's a hundred miles. How do ride? And they had these little training plans in there for how many, like, how many miles or how many hours to ride for you know, three months leading up to your your century, and if you want to like survive it or thrive or you know, go fast. Yeah. So I remember taking that home and then going back to the library again later to return it. And I photocopied the little training chart in there and I was like I should do this. And so my dad took me out to some thrift stores and we found a hundred dollar road bike and some old panasonic team and he helped me rebuild everything on it and then i followed the little training plan for like three months and he drove me out to somewhere west of minneapolis in the the farm fields and he had found a like 20 mile loop that he thought was safe for me to ride and he just sat in this church parking lot for seven hours while i rode five laps around and that was kind of the beginning of my infatuation with like longer bike rides and and That's cool. so I got into mountain biking for a while after that. And then I was a Nordic ski racer for a while. And then when I was living in Wisconsin, um, the Nordic ski scene is just kind of literally melting away. Cause there's not enough snowfall there anymore for it. And so I just I started road riding a lot more and got on a um, kind of regional elite team out of there and spent probably five years, pretty focused mostly on cyclocross actually, but doing road for a fair bit of the time and moved to Boulder in that. And then after a few years of being, like, super focused on cyclocross, um, which was a really fun scene to be part of in Boulder. There's just so many yeah. strong riders, and the whole front range scene is great. Um, but I got tired of, like, literally racing in small circles mm-hmm. every year, same courses and everything, and then heard about this race called the Grand Loop out in western Colorado and eastern Utah, which doesn't exist anymore. But it was one of the – basically the first, bike packing ultra – in the lower 48 that wasn't like dirt roads and yes. it was all gnarly mine roads and Pelle was part of it. Um, yeah. And so I decided to like, well, hmm, could I do that? It was kind of like that same century mentality from when I was 13. It's like 360 miles in one push. Like, can I do that? I had no clue. And I'd kind of no business jumping into something like that, but I did and survived it.
2: I remember feeling like that on the first, uh, our first ultra was, the gb duo in the uk it's like the mm-hmm. length of the uk um and i remember being so excited because it, it was like there was no more curfew you know it's like i always felt like i had to be home like kind of <laughs> when it's getting dark otherwise people get worried and i'm like it's gone <laughs> you know like this is super exciting i can just keep going <laughs> um yeah i don't know theres i feel like there's something um like, the experience you get through, like, a, an ultra is so, like, profound in a lot of ways. It just draws you back. Even though at the time it can be, like, so overwhelming and, like, so incredibly difficult. I just feel like I had the same thing. Like, I was like, I don't think I need to do one of these again. <laughs> and then, like, a week later, I was like, eh, I might go to the Colorado Trail. Like, that's, I'm, I'm going to be around there.
1: <laughs> like, but I that's a crack of but That the gb duro yeah. is all pavement right for mostly pavement
2: uh no it's like quite a lot of off-road um i think it's maybe like 50 50
1: okay um,
2: and there's some pretty like there's a lot of bits that you'd rather be on a mountain bike um you do like quite a lot of walking
1: oh, okay
2: of those like uk hiking paths you know yeah
1: bridleways um, and things like that
2: yeah, exactly. Lots of brighter ways. Um, but I actually kind of enjoyed all that element because that was all very new to me, like the idea of walking your bike. <laughs> like the first time I was doing it, I was just like, this this sucks. Like <laughs> this really sucks. And after a while, you just kind of like, oh, it's nice, it breaks it up a bit. You know, I'll be <laughs> excited when I get back on my bike. Um so yeah, like the but the Colorado Trail again, I mean, that's just like it was another level of um, you know, difficulty.
1: Yeah. I and I think that there. was, that was when you first reached out to me. It was before. You yeah. because I think. Yeah. You'd been, you'd been planning on doing it during the, for the actual race, which yeah, was exactly. think, the last year that I raced it. And then you yeah. ended up, what, you I had to go race the tour Utah or something like that. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> I did Utah and Leadville and then like snuck off to do the um, Colorado trail. But I had no idea what I was getting in for in that like because i was like hey ever in mountain bikes a bit like i'll be (laughs) all right how can it be and then after like maybe 12 hours on the trail i was just like oh my god i'm so far far over my head
1: but you still (laughs) you smoked it like didn't
2: uh i mean i did like in in my head like it just totally kicked my ass you know i felt like i was limping along that thing um but it was great because it was like a super humbling experience, you know? Um because like I think in GB Juro, um I got not I got lucky. Um but I just like I mean, yeah, I had a very smooth run in a lot of ways. Um and so I was like kind of like, oh yeah, I could just do these things. Like this is like fun. Um and then yeah, maybe twenty-four hours into Colorado Trail, I was like, "Oh my god, I have no idea what I'm doing."
0: Right
1: <laughs> what was, was the What was the like most in your face element of that that made you feel like um, not feel confident about yourself or your your preparation? Think, like,
2: the first night, um, I was like at, near the high point there, and I just hadn't done. Any like real research on the route, mm-hmm. and I was like up on that high plateau there, where you just oh, kind of like, sitting
1: thirteen thousand feet,
2: <laughs> exactly. And I was trying to like find somewhere to sleep, and I was like, I can't sleep this high. Like one, because I only brought an emergency bivy and like a pretty light sleeping bag, so I was like, it's just too cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and two like you can't like when you try and sleep that high you're not going to sleep by you? you just kind of like lie there and listen to your heartbeat really fast <laughs> yes, exactly so, um i was like i have no idea like how like i was like i could be up this high for like another 50 miles i don't know um and i was like i just don't have enough stuff and even the lights i brought were just useless you know like i could hmm. barely see where i was going um and I was just like, I've really, um, yeah, I'm like way over my head. And I kind of made a conscious decision at that point to be like, all right, I can't push this now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have like, I don't have the experience to like race this thing. Um, and so I basically was like, I need to limp through the next day and then have like a full sleep mm-hmm. and then At that point, I was like, when I wake up, I'll decide if I keep going. And then I woke up and I was like, I I kind of want to see the whole thing now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I still, yeah, I finished it. But um, like, I I think about it probably at least two or three times a week, (laughs) just about like, that's the only route I've done where I keep thinking about it. It's like kind of like when you're trying to link something, you know, in your backyard. Yeah. Like if I could just, like, I think <laughs> about it like that, and I'm just like, God, that kicked my ass so bad. I have to go back and do it, like, not to go like necessarily go fast or whatever, just to do it and have it be like an enjoyable experience and be able to push like comfortably, you know.
1: But, I mean, that's the beauty of these things is you have to start somewhere, and like you're never you're never going to know exactly what you're getting into in an event like that without trying it. And yeah. There's a threshold to how prepared you can be as a rookie in yeah. anything like that. So at some point you just have to dive right in and, and see.
2: Exactly. Um, and like, I still kind of have that approach of like, I never want to be like over prepared to the point where like nothing can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, if that makes sense. And that also um, takes
1: away from some of the like the, the adventure element of it.
2: Exactly, but then it's sort of like you also don't want to be like reckless. Um, and that first attempt for me was definitely borderline reckless. Um, so I'm just trying to get my dogs out of here. Can you take <laughs> these dogs? <huh? laughs> so I got uh, two Italian greyhounds, and they uh, they go through waves of loving me. Uh, one of those is right now but uh yeah it was like when i did the tour thing this year um that was like a very conscious decision before i was like like overnight um sleep deprivation stuff because i just like i want to be like fully switched on alert yeah you know? um because so, so
1: for, for anyone that's listening, that isn't familiar with this you want to share just a little bit about what that tour thing was
2: (laughs) yeah sure um i rode like the tour de france route with all the transfers um and like did it in the self-supported style um so it was i think five five and a half thousand k somewhere around in that realm um (laughs) and like 17 days or so um but yeah, awesome experience. And I guess I was, yeah, the idea was I was racing the tour, mm-hmm. um, which like, uh, yeah, I don't know. If you, anyone who has like any experience in that kind of ultra realm, like you're just racing yourself really, aren't you? That <laughs> was never like.
1: That's all it is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And by doing it, it's not like I won the tour.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, but you won doing, a lot of people's hearts, which was awesome. To, I was
2: doing something very see. different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was that was a cool, um, that was a really cool experience, um, and it was fun to like. I thought it was it was cool because um, you know, like in the ultra world, it's not like it's not that far out there to do something like that, right? Like you can you can get your head around that kind of effort <laughs> of like, all right, I'm pushing like twelve hours each day for three weeks. Um, it's like it's big, but it's not crazy yeah you know but then you take that effort and you like take it into like the road cycling realm when everyone's mind's just like, blown, you know? <laughs> like how could anyone do that <laughs> like, well, a lot of people do
1: um uh, and i'd asked you i think after you finished that if if that was your idea and i think you had said yeah. that it was your boss's idea but that the self-supported component was yours yeah
2: yeah like their idea was to kind of do it like um like ram style
1: <laughs> you know mm-hmm.
2: like have a uh, have a van that i would sleep in and then like you know have like any food or water or anything given to me um which to be honest like um i think that would be more difficult mentally for me um because like you've got so much to think about when you're doing something self-supported right like you're like okay i need to get water in within the next like 40k i need to like get some food for the next six hours like two hours down the road and then sort dinner and then work out where i'm gonna sleep and like in the meantime you're still just pedaling <laughs> you know like <laughs> and like you could be thinking about something you got to do and before you know it like 20ks is gone yeah um, whereas the idea of like riding down a road and anytime you need something you can just like put your hand up and grab it um or anytime you just stop and sleep, you could just stop. And that, like, I think mentally that would be more difficult because the only thing you're doing is just pedaling, then yeah, well, yeah, you don't have to beddling. concern yourself
1: with yeah. anything else.
2: Yeah. Um, so, like, that was one element to why I wanted to do it that way. And also, like, I think you just, um, like, you end up engaging with where you are way more when you do it. Self-supported, I think. You know, you meet more people, you get a feeling for, like, you know the little towns when you're trying to find food or somewhere to sleep. Like mm-hmm. you just you end up just like actually having a, an experience beyond a bike ride. Um, so that's that was like my motivation for doing it that way. Um, it wasn't about like making it harder. <laughs> <you know? laughs>
1: well, it sounds like it was actually about making it easier in, yeah, in a so lot much. of ways. Like-
2: totally. And like you, is it, no? Like with weight on your bike, you forget about it after a day, right? Like you get on there and you're like, oh, this thing is heavy. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
1: this, but your body adapts so fast. Up. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And Then you forget, and then you get back on a light bike and you're like, this thing feels weird.
1: Yeah. Um, and you almost swerve yourself off the road.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, what What was the highlight of that that experience for you?
0: Um
2: to me i I, like a lot of people ask me that and like i just see the whole experience like for as in its entirety if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um because like i feel like you get a lot more out of the bad moments if i'm honest um so like in hindsight they're kind of the highlights like managing Hmm. if you're able to manage like the difficult moments um they're always that, Or oh, if you're able to manage it well, that's always a highlight for me. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't like to like pick one point. Um, mm-hmm. I had like one, uh, one difficult night when like I've out of, um, like food and just like fully miscalculated, you know? And so I was out of food for like six hours and slept the night and then had to get up and ride mm-hmm. the next morning. And, um, uh, that was something i've always been like worried about and then you know you confronted with it and then you deal with it and then you kind of like all right i'm not like i'm not gonna die out yeah yeah i had that i had that
1: same thing happen when i was racing the arizona trail the first year the race the the race happened on the full length of the trail so there were like very few people had biked the full length of the trail we had no idea in kind of planning for it how long certain sections would take like is it going to be 16 hours between resupply points or like 30 hours, like just had no clue. And so there was one one section that, I wouldn't even say I miscalculated. I think I was just a little optimistic thinking it might be a little faster than it actually was. And there's a tremendous amount of hiking on that. And I came up like these six hours shy of Flagstaff with my food Uh and same thing ended up sleeping the night. And then I still had four hours to pedal the next morning. And I was like, this is going to be a disaster. And I was just shocked at like, you know, I was hungry. My stomach hurt from how hungry it was, but I was still able to pedal in just fine. Like our bodies are pretty amazing with what they're capable of.
2: So true. It's so true. And Arizona trail, that's where you have to, you hike in the end, right? You do the full Grand Canyon. Yeah. When
1: you're getting close to the the Northern end of the trail, you have to um, put your bike on your back, like a park service rules and carry your bike across the Canyon, which is like a, 23 mile hike I think something like that it's long it's really long that's huge and it's like you get to the south rim and you look across at the other ones like whoa that's really far away and the bottom you can't even see the bottom like it's it's pretty intimidating to get there but I mean I've done that twice now and that's the only the, the only two times I've hiked all the way across the canyon in one one push and it's such a cool Experience. It's really uncomfortable with a bike on your back, but yeah. it is you know just to do that all in one push and to do both times. We're like doing it through the night and just being down That's in there. That's crazy. It. And yeah, it's really neat. Like that definitely is one of the highlights of of that whole race experience for me. Yeah. But last time I did it was pushing the sleep deprivation envelope farther than I wanted to, and I was having these crazy hallucinations climbing out the North Rim, where we you're like on the forested cliffs and so there's these big trees and so i was hiking up that at probably what three or four in the morning and, and it was like this dead still night probably 40 degrees it was really nice actually clear skies as you can see the stars up above and i'd be walking along and then a branch like a huge branch would fall out of one of the pine trees and i'd literally like jump out of the way and you're on a pretty narrow trail with a big cliff and you have a bike on your back so I, like jump on my extremely tired leg and like stumble it's like where'd the branch go
2: oh shit <laughs> and you know
1: nothing no branch fell but this kept happening as i was going up the trail and my goal for that race that year was to like push the limit but i didn't want to get to the point of that amount of yeah information. and just just ended up there on that hike through the canyon and so the whole hike up there was was really wild and then i got up to the rim put my bike back together just as the sun was coming up and started riding and then you're on pavement getting out of the park um And in the spring, there's a snow detour just because the trail is usually under snow there still in May. And so it ended up being like 30 miles of pavement and I could not stay away because literally just like swerving back and forth on the road, falling asleep on the bike. And so I laid down and set my alarm for 10 minutes, I think, and decided, you know, if this works great, if not, I'm going to stop and sleep for a few hours, which is so hard to do because you're literally like 50 miles from the end at that point. So close. And so I set my alarm for ten minutes, and it felt like as soon as I laid down, this raven started calling right above me. And so I woke up with a start, and like looking around the tree, and there's no raven anywhere. And then my alarm goes off. I was like, "Well, this is weird."
2: like <laughs> so I got sad. back on my
1: bike, and I was actually okay. Like that was enough of a jolt awake. And so I still don't know right. if the raven was actually there. If that was my brain, like, "Come on, you gotta just like finish." Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so I made it to the end. But that was. That was a wild, wild ending to what mostly was a really fun ride.
2: Yeah, right, right. I've only had, like, I mean, I've been to, like, that sort of point once when I did this gravel race in Spain, Mm -hmm. and I was awake for, like, two days. Well, not quite two days, but, like, I had that same thing in the last, like, three or four hours of it, Mm -hmm. Um, where, like, I don't know if you have the same thing where it's, like, initially i would see like something and then that's like a very quick miscalculation of your brain it makes it something like familiar i think yeah or, like, so like you see a rock and for me it's like i always see the rocks and they become like a suitcase for
1: some reason <laughs> yep so like, some, yeah something weird I, I had one the lichens on rocks in the bottom of grand canyon when i was hiking through would be uh, like chinese characters and so i was just seeing these all over in the rocks and i have no idea where that comes from but that's so
2: weird and but i have the same one and then like the trees always look like um like uh military personnel like lined up like Mm -hmm. like they're marching or something yeah Um, but i'm like very aware it's not real if that makes Mm -hmm. sense oh yeah but then i kind of got like way further down the track and then like had really strange like like time would pass impossibly slow um like I felt like a minute felt like half an hour and I was like (laughs) oh my god I'm losing it and then I felt like the sky was like a ceiling right above my head and I was like okay I need to like same thing I was like I've got like two hours to get this done otherwise I gotta stop you know yeah Um, Yeah,
1: and in all the races I've done over the years I've kind of started to put a limit on myself like i don't want to get to that point anymore because sleep deprivation is like it's it's hard on our brains in yeah in the long term and so it's like if it's just a few hours of it or like one night of it it's okay but there's you know some people really seem to glorify like dealing with that night after night into a divide or something like that and yeah and it's not not where i want to put myself at this point
2: yeah totally i was i was like interested to go there once to see how it was and it's not something that I'd, like to do again
1: <laughs> yeah
2: what's your favorite route like for,
1: for racing or for touring
2: um either touring mm.
1: well i mean i just i don't actually ride that many routes more than once um right just because i'm usually just i want to go see something, else. Do something and, else like i think race in race mode, there I do end up going back to the same ones because it's really fun for me to be able to kind of run experiments like doing one thing differently and seeing how that plays out. Um, yeah. But I mean, well, I just went and r- with a few friends, rode the Colorado 14ers route, which yeah. is like a 200-mile loop, 250-mile loop in the central part of the state that has like five bike legal 14ers along the way. And I've ridden that twice now and both times. It was so much fun and so exhausting. But like, you can push your bike up five 14ers and then a ride back down if right. you like really challenging trail. And there's almost nothing that compares to like rolling off a 14er on single track and just being like, I'm on top of the world. And now I just need to hang on for like 4,000 feet. And That's so uh, cool. Each, each descent is so different from every other one. Um, right. They, they just have, they all have their own completely different character. So that, I love that route a lot. And another one I really like is out in, in the Bear Ears region of Utah. And basically like connecting Moab to Monticello to um, the Colorado River at height. That, that yeah. section of it is just really special. And it's all like cheap road, dirt road. There's no trail on, on any of that. But it's just one of these landscapes that you're out there. It's like, I can't believe this actually exists. And yeah. it just goes on and on and on like that. Yeah. And so I've done that few times now, I'd like to get back out there again this fall to ride that one again.
2: One of those cool. places you look around, you're like, "Where
1: is everyone?" Yeah, It's, <laughs> you it's pretty amazing. Yeah And then yeah. I mean, the Arizona Trail 300 is far and away my favorite race route. And yeah. It's like the southern 300 miles of the Arizona Trail. It's almost all single track. It's amazing desert riding. Some of the sections of it are like you just get out in there and you're like, whoever laid this trail out had absolutely amazing vision. For like yeah. Where it goes, where where it was built, how it was built. Like there's some really world class stuff on huh. on that route out near um, Superior, Arizona, and I think I've raced that like seven or eight times now.
2: Nice. and
1: I just never get tired of it. It's yeah. It's so, the riding is so fun. It's and that's been one that it was, you know, early on there were all these sleep deprivation experiments that we ran that we were like, oh, it's you know, if you sleep four hours a night, that's going to be fastest, like the best combination of being able to ride fast during the day and catching up on sleep at night. And then that just came down farther and farther and farther. And our <laughs> times kept getting faster. And then one year I wrote it without sleeping at all. And it, it ended all up right. being like 40, 48 hours or something, I think at that point. And I was like, huh, never thought that was possible, but what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that one, I think it's, it's special because there was so much learning that happened on that for, yeah, for a lot right. of us that started racing that one back in the like late 2000s, I guess. While ago. Is
2: that, i've looked at that 14 ers route and that thing looks hard like <laughs> it's so like it looks just from i mean and i can imagine the reality of it is even more difficult than like how it looks but like but it, i just feel like the people would look like look at that and be like oh yeah that sounds cool and then you get out there and you're like <laughs> oh my god this is horrific. <laughs> but
1: the, the really cool thing about that one is like you can ride the core loop and just ride past every one of the 14ers and you don't have to do any of them or yeah. when i did it um uh, a few months ago um hillary allen was one of the folks that came with us in and she was in boulder yeah. she's a pro professional skyrunner and so she ran all the peaks and oh, nice. had a blast doing that and stash her bike at the bottom yeah. and so you can do that you can hike it you can ride your bike up like not elbert or something like that one of the easiest ones which is still yeah. hard but um more manageable more rideable both up and down or you can tackle more than one, if you want, but like there's so many ways that you can do that one. And if you just ride yeah. the core, the core loop of it, it's a, it's like some of the more rideable Colorado Trail sections in the Arkansas Valley. Then and then some backcountry stuff on the east side up by Buffalo Peaks that almost never gets ridden, but it's a really cool trail. Most hmm. of it, I should caveat. Most of it's really cool trail over there. Little bit, <laughs> little bits a little overgrown and covered in deadfall after a fire. But <laughs> right,
2: gotcha, gotcha. I make the fun. <laughs> Do you so you're you coach a bunch of athletes? Or do I you do. have
1: many? Yeah, I've been coaching for I think seven years now, and like, I've never actually had a coach myself, which was kind of interesting in all yeah. the different types of racing I've done over the years. But um, started having people ask me like eight, eight years ago or so if I'd help them get ready for ultras. And mm-hmm. at first I was like, no, I don't feel like competent to coach people. Um, right. But then, as I was running a lot of those kind of experiments on like the Arizona Trail 300 or the, the Coconino Loop, which is like a 250 mile loop just north of where I live, that was a really good, very local one to go do. And it was like, you know, 36 hours or something. So, kind of that boundary between, you know, not too hard on the body, but you can still do yeah. pretty serious experimenting with the, on the ultra mindset on that. So, I started doing stuff there and then realized that. There really wasn't that much knowledge out there, like scientific knowledge about what this effort. Like, yeah. yeah, and so I, I at that point I dug into like as much of the scientific literature as I could find on these efforts, and a lot of it was based on these like different events in Europe. A lot of like ultra triathlons that mm-hmm. you know would have um, the participants coming back to like a transition zone, and so scientists could be there like taking blood samples or like actually monitoring things. Yeah. Or in RAM was another one that there's been some yes. studies done that's easy to be like be with the riders. So I just got really fascinated by all that, and like I'm a, a scientist by training, geology, um, yeah. which is very different. But so got really fascinated by all that, and then started digging into the coaching side of things. It was like, okay, I actually feel like I could help. Like I know what to do for myself. So if I just kind of apply that and all this other stuff I'm learning to some other folks, see what happens, and it worked really well. I coached a lot of people, mm-hmm. that had a lot of success, and um really put a lot of emphasis on trying to it seems like really encourage people to ride the way you do like just do things that sound fun and incorporate the training into that
2: right yeah um, Yeah.
1: that's like that's so important because if you show up to an ultra and you're kind of mentally burned out from the training from like being so focused on that you're screwed for the race itself like you'd, you'd be you'd be so much better off showing up to that race much less trained much less fit and so much more enthusiastic. Like you'll have a better race, you'll stand a better chance of finishing. You'll probably go faster, to be honest. Um, yeah. So it's it's been really fun to, to coach folks um, for those sorts of things. And I've coached some folks for shorter, like hundred mile type things, shorter yeah. than that. Um, but coaching ultra athletes is really what what I love doing. And whether mm-hmm. it's folks training for their first one or for trying to go super fast and like Tur Divide or something.
2: And do you set like your own programs then? Do you, do you follow like a, do you have like a mud map of like, okay, I'm kind of trying to do this or you just kind of feel
1: it out for, for myself. Yeah. Or for my, yeah, I don't have, I have I haven't followed a training plan in years. Like even one that I put together for myself, like yeah, a general progression of what I know works well for myself. And mm-hmm. for me, it's a lot of like, wake up on any certain day and be like, hmm, where do I feel like riding today? Yeah. That sounds like today's ride. I was like, I want to go ride out on the other side of the Bradshaw's and then think, okay, well, I should be doing this. I should be, in quotes, doing yeah. this for, for training in this phase right now. And there's a 3,000 foot climb toward the end of that that I can actually work stuff Just into.
2: And totally.
1: And like I do, a, I spend a lot of time doing intervals on trails, like mm-hmm. techie trail climbs, which isn't the best way to do intervals, but it's so much fun. And yeah, exactly. I'd rather I'd rather do them poorly and have fun doing it then you know spend all my time on some like gravel road climb going back there day after day to, to do totally. workouts on it and go so up and
2: down it Oof. yeah 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 that's interesting that's kind of a very similar way to how i approach riding training
1: do you have a coach uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> is, your, is your team okay with that
2: uh yeah i i uh, so i had no coach for like 2 years and then at the end of last year um, I started working with a coach from the team.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: the first like four or five months of this year, I guess, I was coached. Um, like, and we had a very good, it was more like two days a week. He was like, okay, try and get this in. Like, <laughs> I understand that like, and that was like as, <laughs> as far as we could really get. Um, and then um, I I just to be honest, like um, I just don't do well with like structured training mm-hmm. um, and I can get more more out of myself if it's not written down, <laughs> you know. Um, and same thing, I kind of get motivated just by different routes I can do um, mm-hmm. and like different places to ride. And then I've just gotten better at being like honest with myself in that like I'm like, okay, I could probably get this much out of myself today, or I do actually feel good, like mm-hmm. it's okay to push, or I'd really love to do this ride, but like I'm struggling to get out of bed. Um so I've gotten better at that, um, which I think has ultimately just helped me like perform better, probably. Um like and a lot and there's a
1: lot of people who do well with like really structured stuff. Um I think a lot of people really do thrive in that, like not having to think about what to do, like somebody just tells them, go do this. And if, you know, if that's a coach that knows the person well and can give them really reasonably challenging workouts and like recognize when recovery is needed and when easier rides are needed, that works really well for so many folks, but I don't, yeah, I think I'm, I mean, I've been coaching myself for so many years now and I still don't have a great idea what i'm going to be capable of on certain days and
2: yeah exactly so if
1: if i suddenly feel really good and i can go out and do you know long intervals at the end of a six hour ride it's like sweet i never would have told myself to do that if i was coaching myself but it worked out and that's great Um, yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah that's so true and like and vice versa i feel yeah like sometimes you need someone to tell you to slow down but i always feel like you you're actually capable of a lot more and a lot of coaches are quite um not afraid everyone's just on the side of caution a bit Mm -hmm. right yeah because it's like it's definitely easy to do too much um and but sometimes like you kind of like need to just go out and see what you can do Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you know you, you often like you surprise yourself like you said like riding two days on the uh arizona trail like if someone prescribed that to you, you'd be like, no
1: way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, totally. But,
2: but you're like, when it's your own decision, you're kind of like, well, I'm just experimenting on myself here. And then, you know, there's quite a bit, quite a bit of like uh, progression that can happen there. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, just, I just find it interesting because like a lot of people, because um, I've never done any specific like ultra training, I just do a lot of hours because I like to ride a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, even like you said, like before the tour thing I did this year, I didn't ride for 10 days because exactly that. I'd like come out of a huge racing box and spent like a month on the road and was kind of mentally just like, I don't feel like riding. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm about to go and ride around France for three weeks. <laughs> like, <laughs> So I was like, what's the best training I can do? And I was like, the best training you can do is just to do nothing until you get there. So you're super excited to go right? I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this, but like, I feel like the, you come into like the ultra world and you're like, I'm going to carry all this stuff. And for me, like I'm coming from road racing. So I'm like, I need to carry as little stuff as I can. Mm -hmm. Right? You're like, I need to like, (laughs) like like a light sleeping bag. Like, I just need like, you know i can get stuff if i need it and then you start and your bike's heavy anyway right it doesn't matter like three or four kilos either way for me i think Mm -hmm. like it's just more or less the same um but if you don't have something that's all you think about and you're just like oh god i hope i don't like i hope i don't slice this sidewalk because like i Mm -hmm. decided i wasn't going to bring that extra tire or like yeah, I hope it doesn't get too cold because, like, I only brought like the medium weight jacket, and I feel like for me anyway, I you waste so much time just like being a bit stressed about it. Mm-hmm. Or, like that, I realized like for when when I did the tour, I just brought everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just and then so yeah, time. and then you have this confidence knowing that like whatever nature throws at you or whatever situation you have to deal with with your bike, you know, within reason you're fine with and then you You can yeah leave all that all those concerns behind and just know that you're you're set yeah
2: yeah yeah that's That's, like uh, that's my conclusion now is that like if you feel if you're second guessing something just take it or like if you're thinking like uh should i run like a heavier tire just just run it you know what i mean i (laughs) totally agree with that it
1: took me quite a few years to come to that same conclusion like the first couple times I um, tour divide and Arizona Trail and things like that, I was, you know, trying to get my weight down as much as possible with what I was carrying, and so skipping on sleep systems, skipping on clothing, that sort of thing, and then you end up just like cold, which stresses you out and stresses your body out, and in tour divide especially when you're out there for two plus weeks, that's a lot of right. sleeping outside, and if you're just like waking up shivering, that's your body's not like your body's doing the opposite of recovering like you're you might as well be riding. (laughs) yeah and so i think like from one year to the next in that race um the amount i carried just steadily increased and like heavier sleep kit but warmer and so i was more comfortable at night and like i was less worried about needing to find like a warm place to sleep or anything like that and it was that was yeah just such a kind of a relief actually and i felt way better um after every night of being out there with a more comfortable setup and then the third the third year i did it i ended up doing it on a tandem which was the physical physically hardest thing i've ever done on the tandem yeah it's all right it was i mean there's almost no technical riding on that route so that element of it was easy but i was like oh we'll like we'll go slow up the climbs because it's going to be hard and we'll fly on the descents and we'll make up ground on everyone else in the flats and it was more like just get up the climbs survive the descent and then recover on the flats yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like everything about it was hard um oh, it hard and uh, that, I, how, much did that, how much did
2: that rig weigh like by the time you had everything on there
1: i don't even That's, know there i mean there's, there's, there's no need, you need like two scales or something to weigh it <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> um yeah i, I, don't, I mean it, the bike itself was probably 45 pounds yeah. And then gear for two people on it. I mean, it was probably 90, 90 pounds sorry, with like no. a bit of food. And what sort of brakes? You need some, you need some Yeah, we had like we had a dual crown fork, like a hundred millimeter dual crown fork on it from White Brothers and um, one of those roll-off internally geared rear hubs, which was awesome because it meant that I could just like shift without having to tell my partner that you know back off the pedal kind of thing. And then I think we were just running XT, mono XT brakes, but with yeah. like downhill rotors, Big rotors on there. Yeah. And yeah, it took us like two days to run through the first set of pads. And <laughs> 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 it, it, yeah, it was, it was an adventure. And just, it was really interesting to try to like legitimately race an ultra, but with another person and seeing how like your rhythm through the day, energy wise yeah. and enthusiasm wise and everything is probably never going to match it the other person's and so it's just yeah. like you know you'd have like an hour where you both feel really good and then three hours where one person feels great and the other person is just like you know energy low or like hasn't been eating enough or something and so then the person that's working that's feeling good works a little harder to try to you know keep pace up and then they just wear themselves out and then the other person feels better and it's just like it, it, yeah be, yeah
2: I, I, could, I don't think I could manage that uh, I feel like for me, I, I always feel like I'm on such a personal mission that like mm-hmm. I'm even very, like, I feel like I'm pretty sensitive to, like, any interaction, really. You know, like, <laughs> I feel like when you you can just read, like, something the wrong way and think mm-hmm. about it for three hours or whatever, so, like, <laughs> I, I try and keep my contact down to, like, I maybe speak with my wife once a day
1: uh-huh but even
2: then i'm trying to make sure like i'm in a really good mood and i try and like make sure i'm like i'm gonna call when i know she'll be in a good mood because otherwise yeah. like, yep if i if i get like something that i just feel is negative or whatever like I, that can totally
1: yeah that can me. just it just gnaws at you like it, it's hard to push things like that out of your head when all you're doing is pedaling and totally to, yeah
2: yeah but yeah. those things can really like yeah,
1: unravel you, I feel well, like. if you. If you ever do something like that on a tandem, you'll probably be too tired to even care about any of that. Like, right. <laughs> don't have the mental energy <laughs> to deal with it. I don't
2: care if I burn this friendship.
1: <laughs> <right now.
2: laughs> I'm going to get this down. Uh, are you going to do any more um, of the, like, fat bike stuff? Like, that and that? I did a in in that.
0: Well,
1: I have no set plans. For that right. like those were really just a strange set of circumstances like I live in Arizona which we don't really have winter here or at least mm-hmm. there, it snows and then it's gone in like a week and yeah. so I'd always I'd watched and marveled at the Iditarod Trail racers for like 15 years and there's a really talented um, journalist from up there that would write like article updates about the races as they go on as, as they went on and so I'd read those every year and marvel at what the riders and skiers and runners were pushing through and never envisioned myself doing it. And then a few years ago, my teammate Kate Boyle was in a really bad car crash on Christmas Eve and up in Idaho. And so I drove up there um, to help her out after that. And I got there and she was still in the ICU and like drugged up. And like the second thing she said after I got there, was like, are you going to do JP's race? And I was like, Wait, what? And JP, Peter Very runs a um, like a it used to be a two hundred k and a two hundred mile bath bike race. Now Alex House came up and did that.
2: okay, two, yeah, two yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah,
1: and like I drove up there quite last minute. Like I didn't bring a bike, I don't think, or maybe i had a mountain bike. Didn't have any winter gear or anything. And I was like, not like I'm not gonna do a winter <laughs> ultra. Like I haven't even been riding my bike that much lately. Yeah. And then pretty quickly every. In the valley that knew her, knew me, was like, Oh, you can borrow my bike. I've got boots. JP was like, Oh, just come over to my garage. Like, we'll get you set up with everything you need. And it was like to the point that I couldn't say no. Yeah, I and...
2: have to do this thing. Now. Yeah.
1: And so I did it. And it was like, I was so out of my element. The weather was decent for it. Um, but like 200 miles in snow is hard. Um, yeah. The way around that. And I ended up, it came down to a sprint with Neil Belchenko, and I beat him in the sprint in the parking lot. At <laughs> oh, wow and so i was like huh, that's weird but i'll take it like winning a race is always fun and then the really odd element of it was that the winner of that race gets an automatic qualification for the iti in alaska and okay well i'm qualified i'm in no way like skill wise qualified to go up and race in alaska but i had an in to like do the race yeah that was kind of too something i couldn't pass up and so i went back to idaho the next winter and spent a while training and doing some winter camping and had Kate teach me some more stuff about winter camping because she's done so much of it and um, then felt comfortable enough to go do the race in Alaska. Sure. And it was awesome. The race was such a cool experience. Um, and I kept actually touring on the route after the race with, uh, with a friend and we had planned to ride the whole thing except then the pandemic kind of set in up there too sure. and the native villages closed to visitors. So we ended up flying out and made it halfway. Mm-hmm. but. Um, so that was i don't know i think i'd be I'd, i think i'd be more likely to go ride the full i did rod trail in tour mode than yeah do any more decoration. winter winter racing but
2: for me it's just like that's the ultimate expert level bikepacking i feel like you know it's just I, I, like i have mean, been I, asked about that and i'm just like there's no way like they wouldn't <laughs> understand how much more difficult it is you're just like there's there's so much management right
1: and i think that's the only reason i was able to be successful in those races was that like the self care side of things i had down so like gotcha. taking care of myself and like feeding myself and all of that like i didn't have to put any energy into it it was all second nature but the yep. like managing temperature sweat all of that stuff the bike and like that i could focus all my energy on that instead and manage to do well in in both those races and have a, a good time in them, but it's yeah, definitely. I was very out of my element and in Alaska, very intimidated at times. Like yeah. it, got, it got down to like minus forty-five degrees Fahrenheit in in that <laughs> one, which I had never, <laughs> I would never been in temperatures below minus twenty-five, and I don't think I'd ever ridden in temperatures below like minus ten. Oh so my uh, <laughs> yeah, that was to the point of like, okay, I need to think about everything I do really carefully because the consequences here are about as high as they get. For, totally screwing up yeah yeah because you're you're out there like there's no one that's gonna come get you right it's
2: like like you could sweat too much and then you can just die.
1: yeah and (laughs) like that whole that whole progression could happen in like 30 minutes or something like that and if you fall behind on calories that just accelerates that whole process even further Yeah, yeah it's just consequences are really high so
2: and then really? even like getting to where your food is right like trying to get your gloves off and like, i can't imagine that's yeah hard.
1: it's there's, there's so yeah. many little things that just end up being hugely really challenging and you, have, you have to think about that carefully like okay i need to eat a snack it's minus 45 how do i eat my snack without getting frostbite
2: <laughs> sure
1: yeah legitimate concern but it's um, awesome i'm glad i did it once and i think tour mode up there was really cool because like the, the sled dog race was going through and so we could actually yeah. like stop and talk with the mushers and hear, cool. like hear what they were going through like that's its own like next level ultra endurance type Different thing. thing. imagine like trying to race a uh, sled dog team through the night for like 10 days or however long it takes them and you have to take care of your entire dog team and yourself yeah but the dogs come first and so it's like, it was wild seeing just what, what those folks go through and what they put themselves through and how that compares to, like, ultra bike events. And then ultra bike events seem pretty tame in a lot of ways. Totally.
2: totally. <laughs> There's always something more, right?
1: Yep, there is. But like guarantee... you, you did
2: big, you're like, oh, man, I didn't even scratch the surface. Yeah. But
1: I guarantee you'll never see me racing a sled dog team. <laughs> 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 not. Yeah. Oh, not for me yeah cool well this been fun at some point we need to meet up for an actual like on the ground adventure Uh,
2: absolutely yeah we should make it happen this uh this winter i don't think uh i don't think i'm going back to australia anytime soon so (laughs) yeah it sounds
1: like it might be hard to get back in or hard to get out if you do get in yeah
2: yeah Yeah, it's just not really on the card so i think uh i think i'm going to be around all winter so a desert desert adventure sounds good
1: that'd be fun yeah let's let's stay in touch about that it's i've got Sweet. nothing specific in the plans after the next six weeks or eight weeks
2: Right. So. Sweet. Sweet, man either sounds good mate
1: cool well <laughs> thanks for chatting
2: It's great to catch That's up it. thanks for the chat and I, uh take... catch you soon
1: yeah take care man